Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're going to begin right here in Acts chapter 1. And what we see in this first chapter is Jesus, after he had been crucified and raised back to life, he's now appearing to his disciples, like Drew Brees, calling them in a huddle. And here, before he goes back to heaven, Jesus is essentially telling them what they are to do in his physical absence. So Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven. The disciples are left here on the earth. And here's the question the disciples ask Jesus, okay? Here's the question. They, 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 they ask this. Lord, referring to Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, the question is, Jesus, is this the time when you're going to overthrow the Romans? our Roman overlords, and set us free? Okay, that's the question, essentially. And here's Jesus' response. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Verse 8, here's the key. But you will receive what? Y'all say it with me. Power. Everybody say it one more time with some authority. You will receive power. There you go. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be, here's the key word. If you have your Bible open, you can circle it. You will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and how far? To the end of the earth. That's pretty far, huh? And and, and so here Jesus is basically saying, listen, I'm getting ready to go to the Father. I'm getting out of here. But you're going to continue my ministry. You're going to go out into the world beginning in Jerusalem, and you're going to go to the ends of the earth, and you are essentially, Jesus is saying, you're going to essentially tell the world about me. You're going to testify to who I am, to my goodness, to my grace, and to what I am able to do in someone's life when they believe. Those of you who are born again by the Spirit of God, those of you who have been blood-bought, spirit-filled, changed by the power of God, you have something to say about that God, do you not? You can testify to the fact that once you were blind, but now you can what? Now you can see because of God's amazing grace. And so Jesus is basically saying, I've done a work in you. You've seen me. You beheld my glory. Now I want you to go tell the world about who I am. And that's what they did. They took his word very seriously. Now, they didn't do it perfectly. But what we do see through the book of Acts is that the disciples in the early church, they did it powerfully. They bore witness to Jesus. All right. And that's what we see as we pick it up today in Acts 14. That's exactly what we see Paul and Barnabas doing in this Roman city called Iconium. Here's what Luke tells us that happened at Iconium. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they, that is Paul and Barnabas, entered together. They formed a unit, went in together as a team. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, we don't know everything that they shared. We don't know all of the details. But we are told that they spoke spoke in such a way that people believed. My old pastor used to say it this way. You share ice cream, but you preach the gospel. Meaning when I preach the gospel and I show up here, this is not something I'm kind of working out as I go. I come up fully assured of what I'm about to say. I come up fully persuaded that every word from the word of God, the Bible, is absolutely true and that all men are held accountable to it. What we all need is to hear the unadulterated, pure, powerful word of God. Because how many of y'all know it's the word of God that sets the captives free? And sometimes the word is hard to hear, but if you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and the word comes in, come on. How many of y'all know it's sharper than a two-edged sword? It cuts, and it divides, and at the end of the day, it transforms with the help of the Holy Spirit. Are y'all with me today? How many of y'all can say, how many of y'all can bear witness that the word has changed your life? But here we, we, we see from Luke that they spoke in such a way that, I mean, I'm convinced that as Paul was, was preaching, 
as Barnabas was preaching, I'm convinced that the veins were coming out in their necks. I'm, I'm very, very confident that, that when they got up, like there was some power in their speech. They, were, they, they weren't kind of stuttering and kind of fumbling around. They were absolutely sure of what they were saying. So they spoke with power and with persuasion. And so the result was this, again, once again, that both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, Again, I don't know everything they shared, but at the very least, I bet that Paul and Barnabas preached in the synagogue to the Jews and to the, those in the back, that is these Greeks who would come in and sit in the back, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. How many of y'all know the entire, what we call Old Testament, bears witness to Jesus and points to Jesus? Did y'all know that? That the entire Old Testament, from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Malachi, that the prophets, the law, everything they're in, points to Jesus and, and directs people's attention to him. How many of y'all know that's true? I'm confident that when Paul and Barnabas preached, they did so to say, listen, the, 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 the scriptures that you have been reading every Sabbath, the Torah, did you know that that points to Jesus? And they, they did it in such a way where people were like, I get it now. I believe. We believe. How many of y'all know in our own lives that everything we say, everything we do should in one way or another point to Jesus? How many of y'all know I'm not the light and you're not the light. We're here to bear witness to the light and the light's name is Jesus Christ, the only hope for this world. And so you're called, listen, maybe you didn't know this as a Christian, maybe you didn't know when you signed up for Christianity that this is one of your responsibilities. It's not really a job, it's a joy through my lips and through my life, through your lips and your lives, we are called to proclaim the goodness of God, the God who brought us out of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of God's son, into the kingdom of light. Come on, y'all. You were once lost, but now you're found. You were blind. Come on, but now you see. We're to testify to that, that God has done a work in our lives. And the Bible says if we don't cry out, the stones will. I don't know about y'all, I'm not going to let the stones outpraise me. Because my heart has been changed from a heart of stone. God's given me a heart of flesh, a mouth to praise Him. How I many of y'all know that's what we do as believers? And I'm not saying you've got to get up and do it the way I do it, but come on. How many of y'all know before you got saved, I mean, you're driving down the street listening to all kinds of music that had nothing to do with Jesus and the kingdom of God. But then you get saved and now you can't help it when you're driving down the street but to bump that funky Jesus music and listen to some praise and worship because now, now you've got something to praise God for. You did before, you just didn't know it. But come on, that's what God does. Driving down Johnston. Come on, you should praise God. How many of y'all know you really need to praise him on Johnston? Come on, ambassadors like purgatory. Praise your way out of purgatory as you're stuck in traffic. How many of y'all know we got a lot to praise him for? A lot to thank him for. Even when you're stuck in traffic, you should praise God and bear witness. Roll down your windows and bear witness to the goodness of God. And then people will speed up quickly and think you're crazy. But that's okay. We're here to bear witness to him. Are y'all with me today? So, so this is what happened in Iconium. I digress. This is what happened in Iconium. They spoke in such a way that lots of folks got saved and lots of folks believe. But let's keep going. So moving forward, we can infer that the Spirit of God was moving in Iconium. Is that, is that okay to say? Is that accurate to say? Yeah, the, the Spirit was moving. Luke doesn't tell us that, but we know that, that, that hearts were open, people believed. So the Spirit was moving. The Spirit of God was moving in Iconium. But, but as we're about to see... So was the spirit of division. But here, the unbelieving Jews were told, stirred up the whom? Say it. Not a trick question. The Gentiles, non Jews, and look at that. Circle this word in your Bible. Poison their what? Their minds against the brothers. I love that. The brothers. That means brothers and sisters. The Christians. The unbelieving Jews, those who resisted the word, stirred up the Gentiles. Poison their mind. It just takes one drop of poison, doesn't it, to ruin everything. Poison their minds against the brothers and, by extension, the sisters. Now, this is like demonic opposition 101. This happens all the time. 
For example, someone will get born again, saved, set free, and a person will leave church, leave a meeting like this, go back to people they know, to friends, family, and you would expect them, that is the people that person goes to, to be happy for them. Now, when I got saved and set free years and years ago, I thought that my friends would be happy for me. How many of y'all know? <laughs> you find out who your real friends are once you get saved. All right. Well, oftentimes, someone will get saved and go tell their friends and family about what happened. And there's always someone who wants to put a little eggshell in your omelet. Who wants to spoil what God has done. Are y'all getting a picture of that omelet right now? Who wants to spoil what God has done? It works like this. There are a lot of different ways this happens. But someone will get saved and carry their Bible Go tell people they got saved and born again, you know, set free and born again, and then somebody will look and say, What's that you're carrying? What's my Bible? It never fails. Someone will say, Well, did you know that the Bible has a lot of contradictions in it and you can't trust it? Now, have y'all ever heard someone say that? Just, just, just a question. Raise your hand if you, someone's ever told you that the Bible's got a lot of contradictions. Okay, if you haven't heard that yet, you're going to hear it eventually. Directly, indirectly, you're going to hear it. Okay, let, let me help y'all. When someone says that, if it's you, if they say it to you, here, here's what you say. You, just, you, you ask in return, say, um, well, can you show me any? Just say, well, can, well, it's got contradictions. It's got so many. Surely you can show me some contradictions. Now, in most cases, here's what you're going to get in response. Well, uh, I don't personally know of any, but, but somebody on Facebook said that it's got a lot of contradictions in it. How many of y'all know there are a lot of people on Facebook saying a lot of things? Yeah, yeah. There's this guy on Facebook who said the Bible is full of contradictions, so you can't trust it. How about this one? How about this one? I heard, someone will say to you, I heard that science has disproven the Bible. Have you ever heard that one? Have you ever heard that one? If you haven't heard it directly, you're going to hear it on the news. You're going to hear it on specials, especially around Christmas time. They have liberal scholars on the news to basically tell you that that science has shown miracles don't happen. The Bible's false. Archaeological evidence has shown the Bible's not true. Okay, listen to me carefully. When someone says that to you, here's what you can say in response. I'm helping you all today. You can say this, and this is 100% true. You can say back, did you know that there are thousands, and I mean we can say tens of thousands, probably more, of, of mathematicians, philosophers, and scientists. Very smart, intelligent men and women who believe that God is Father, that Jesus is His Son, that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father who came from heaven to the earth to set the captives free. You can say, did you know that there are a lot of really brilliant scientists who believe in the validity of the scientific method, but who also believe that every word in the 66 books of the Bible are absolutely true? <laughs> did y'all know that? This isn't like the smart people and then all the idiots and the Christians on the other side. That's kind of how the world makes us look at times. But no, there are good, godly, brilliant scientists who believe for good reason that Jesus rose from death and that God has given us his word. It is inspired. It is inerrant. Every word is true and you can build your life on it. Now, maybe you don't say that with that much energy and veins coming up, but the substance is true. It's true. Oh, how about this one? How about this one? One more, one more, one more. I can't, I can't help myself. Someone's going to come around trying to spoil what God's doing in your life and trying to mess you up in your mind and say something like, you know, well, all Christians, watch the language, all Christians are nothing but hypocrites. You heard that one? All Christians. You shouldn't be a Christian. You shouldn't listen to Pastor Scott at Midtown. All Christians are hypocrites. Now, let's, let's be critical for a minute. Let's break that down. All Christians are hypocrites. Well, y'all know there are over a billion in the world. How many do you know personally? Well, I, I know 10, 15, and they're all hypocrites. So there are over a billion in the world, but all Christians are hypocrites because of the 10 that you know who attend church once a year. 
How many of y'all know there are counterfeits? There are hypocrites. None of us are perfect, but I can testify that there is a God who changes our lives. We're not perfect. We are in the process of being changed, but I can testify, can't you, that we were once lost, but now we're found. We are different. We are changed. We are transformed. Sometimes the only place in the world where you can find peace is in the heart of a man or woman who believes in God. And that is evidence that God exists, that he's real, that he's in charge, that he's powerful, that he can do anything he wants to do. It doesn't matter how dark, how sinful, how addicted you are. God can set you free. God has set me free. Can I get a witness? If God has set you free, that is evidence that he exists. And what am I saying? Don't let anybody poison your mind or try to change your mind. Listen to me. No one can talk me out of this. Because I've tasted and I've seen that he's good. Anybody else? I got to get out of my introduction. <laughs> oh, my word. But listen, listen carefully. Over the last 2,000 years, Christians have been attacked from every angle. Accused. Reviled. People have spoken falsely about us, made up things, bring, brought charges against us. Did you guys know that in the Roman Empire that Christians were often accused of practicing cannibalism? That was the charge. So let's rid the world of Christians because they practice cannibalism. Now, you want to know why people said that? Well, because the word got out that the Christians got together in secret meetings and they, we call it, they, we call it communion, they partook of communion together. They ate the body and the blood, drank the blood of Jesus, so to speak, metaphorically. Okay? Uh, and, and so the word got out that the Christians are weird. They're eating flesh and drinking blood. And so there was this attack that was launched against the church because these false accusations. Okay? Also, the, the, the church was also accused uh, of practicing incest. Did you know that? In the Roman Empire, that was the charge against Christians. Why would they say such a thing? Well, because Christians called themselves the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. Come on, you are my brother, you are my sister. Come on, we are the family of God, aren't we? They used that language, of course, back then. And there was something going on in the church. It was called the practice of the holy kiss. So if you can imagine from the outside, you got brothers and sisters who love one another deeply with deep affection, and they're sharing the holy kiss, giving the holy kiss. Well, it got reported that these Christians were practicing incest. And so there were people in the empire that were poisoning other people's minds against the Christians to persecute them, to cancel them, to get them to shut up. How I many of y'all know that that's just going to be the way it is until Jesus comes back? We are going to be misrepresented. People are going to speak falsely about us. Listen, if it hasn't happened to you, if you're on Facebook for any length of time, I'm not saying you need to stir up trouble, but sometimes if you just post a Bible verse, you're going to get attacked on social media for being all kind of things that you're not. And I'm telling y'all today, as Christians, you need, if you're, if you're like a sold-out, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled, bold Christian, in these last days, listen carefully, expect to be misrepresented and mistreated because of your faith in Jesus. And by the way, don't be surprised when the trial comes your way. Peter said that. Don't be surprised when people ridicule you. Don't be surprised when you go through trials and tribulations. Don't be surprised. Y'all are aliens. Peter said, y'all a bunch of aliens. You're just passing through. If the world loves you, then that means you're just like them. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when people make fun of you. Don't be surprised when people make stuff up about you at work because you said something about Jesus to try to get you fired. Don't be surprised when that happens. That's just, listen, that's a sign that God is at work in your life. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. It's going to happen. And just as a side note, apart from your faith, doesn't it hurt when people deliberately slander you and say all kinds of false things about you, things that they know that are false? Doesn't that hurt? Raise your hand if you've been slandered recently. We all have at some point. If someone has said something about you that they know and you know is not true. Raise your hand. Boy, doesn't that hurt? It hurts, doesn't it? No, are y'all okay? Maybe y'all are tougher than I am. Y'all are just staring at me. It hurts, doesn't it? Talk to me. We've all been slandered at some point, huh? Raise your hand. You've been slandered? Of course, all of us in some way. It hurts when people say things about you that you and they know are simply not true. It hurts. Now, here's what I want you to do. Here's what we need to do. We need to think about that hurt, how much it hurts us, 
and make sure that we're not doing the same to other people. In the body of Christ especially. That we don't, watch this. The Bible says, thou shall not bear false witness. Sometimes we bear false witness when we say things about people that aren't fully true. We don't give the full picture and we leave people under the impression that something, this happened, but in reality, there's, how many of y'all know, oftentimes there's way more to the story. Listen, we have to be careful what we say, not to sin with our mouths. And how many of y'all know, yes, there's a time to be bold for Jesus and speak up for Jesus, but man, one of the most spiritual things you might do this entire year is refrain from saying the things that are on your mind. Well, I just, you know, just sharing my heart. Don't do that unless your heart has been changed by the Spirit of God. Are y'all with me? Well, I just speak my mind. Don't do that. Don't God help us all. You know, do, do, don't, don't do that unless your mind has been renewed by the power and the Word of God. Are y'all tracking with me? Because we can hurt people. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never what? Whoever came up with that, that's just stupid. Beat me with sticks and stones, but those words, are y'all with me? Words can destroy. Words can destroy reputations. Words can destroy relationships. But back on track here, Jesus, he tells us it's going to happen. That is, for us to be persecuted, we're going to be persecuted, misunderstood, and reviled for his namesake. It's going to happen eventually. That is, if you live for Jesus. If you just check off the box, come to church, raise your hands and go home and live like the world, the world will leave you alone. But here's what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Y'all good? Y'all good? I'm doing good. Y'all doing good? Here it comes. You ready? This is for your refrigerator. You ready? Post this on your refrigerator. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Okay? What do you do? He says this. Rejoice. <laughs> this is crazy to the natural mind. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now let me break this down. <laughs> In other words, when you are ridiculed for your faith on social media or wherever, through a text message at work, when someone makes fun of you for being a sold-out Christian, for believing the Bible, for believing in sexual purity, whatever, here's what Jesus, here's how it translates. You get that message? Get it? <laughs> and I've had to do this. Get it? Put the phone down. Walk out back, put some praise music on, and in your backyard, dance a little jig for Jesus and thank God that you've been counted worthy to suffer for the name. That's what he says to do. So rejoice. Think about that. I mean, this is crazy, isn't it? That's the last thing you want to do when you're persecuted, when you are reviled, or when someone says something evil about you. Jesus says, rejoice. Why? Well, ultimately, because he says, you've got a reward where? <laughs> and how many of y'all know, no man can take away your reward as you stand with him. So here's the problem. Check yourself on this. Some of us are not being used by God the way we could be because we're way too concerned what people think about us. We hang a lot on their words. There's a lot of weight on people's opinions about us, which in, at times it, it paralyzes us. And trips us up, and oh, it's like okay, I I don't want to I don't want to stumble over this. I got to be careful to keep everybody happy. I mean, listen, I, I tried that well, about 15 years ago in ministry. I tried to make everybody happy. How many of y'all know Jesus could not make everybody happy, and if He could not make everybody happy, you don't stand a chance, and I don't stand a chance. We can't make everybody happy. We put a lot of weight on people's words. Listen to me. Your reward should not come from the mouths of men because your reward is stored up in heaven with God. Live to please Him. Live for His affirmation. Don't be concerned what the world says about you. I don't ever say, I don't care what anybody thinks. I care, first of all, what God thinks. I start there. 
What do you think your life would look like if you got up every morning and your ambition was to put both feet on the ground and say, Lord, today I'm going to live to please you and you alone. Think about how different perhaps your life would look if you lived that way and thought that way. I care what God thinks. And next, I care what my wife thinks. I really care what my wife thinks. And I really care about what my elders think. I, I care about what the people of God who love God think. You don't ever want to say, I don't care what anybody thinks. No, 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 you got to get it right. First you start with God, right? Then you start with godly people. And listen, if God's happy and godly people are happy with you, it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. And see, we got to get to this point where it's not that we say, I don't care. We have to learn to care in the right way. Does that make sense? To care in the right order. Because here's what I've written down. You can write it down if you like to. It's, I think it's good. He, this is from an old message I, I dug up. I said this years ago. Let me say it again. If you float on the praises of people, then you will sink under the weight of their criticism. Meaning, if you live because of what people say and the praise that they give you, which can be a good thing, okay, here and there. But if, you, if that keeps you afloat, and if that determines your mood, okay, that's great when you get the compliment, but when the criticism comes, you will sink because of the words of people. Some of you are sinking today because you put way too much stock in what people say and what people think about you. Listen to me today. Let's get this right in the right order. At the end of the day, at the beginning and the end of the day, I want to please God and God, if he's happy with me, then let, it doesn't matter what anybody says. Are y'all with me today? Does it really matter if God be for you? Who can be against you? If God is on your side, does it really matter, really, if the world is against you? It doesn't. It's been said, don't let praise go to your head. I tell people all the time, I tell my staff all the time, don't believe all the good things that people say about you. Don't buy into it all. Be encouraged by some of it. Divide it in half, take the square root, you know, work. It's okay, there's some truth in there. But don't, don't believe all the good things that people say about you. Receive the praise in right measure. Don't let it go to your head. Because you'll start thinking you're the stuff. Oh, and when you start thinking that way, God's going to remind you real quickly that you're not. Come on, how, who can bear witness to that? <laughs> how many of y'all know God specializes in bringing the low up and those who are high down? Yeah. Some of y'all know that from experience. Don't let praise go to your head. But my God, don't let criticism sink in your heart and take over your heart. The aim is to be caring and courageous, tender and tenacious. But no matter what, we are called to live lives that are pleasing to God and ultimately God alone. Can I get a witness? Amen. Luke goes on to say this. So they, Paul and Barnabas, I love this, very tenacious individuals, for, so, so they remained for a long time. <laughs> now, if they were living for the praise of men, they would have left very quickly, wouldn't they? Answer? Yes. Yeah. But they remained for a long time. Criticism, poison, all that's going around. Speaking boldly for the Lord who the Lord bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now that's powerful. In other words, God bore witness to the words of Paul and Barnabas by enabling them to do signs and wonders. And basically the signs and the wonders they performed, that was God from heaven showing those on earth that these men were sent by God and that those gathered should listen to them. That was God authenticating his word to these miracles. Chapter 14, verses 4 through 7 says, But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Verse 5, When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, look, it gets worse, to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, into the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the word. They continued to preach the gospel. Now, as we begin to pivot toward our conclusion, let me point this out. They leave Iconium. They go to this area called Lystra, which, as you guys all know, Lystra, if you're taking notes, write this down. Lystra is where they made Listerine. 
I'm going to leave now and go home. <laughs> Don't write that down. That's not true, as most of you know. Very important things happen where they make Listerine. Don't write that down. Look at what happened. They go, they go to this place called Lystra. Look at this, Acts 14, 8 through 10. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Not a day in his life. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had the faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And this man, we were told, sprang up and began what? Began walking. Now, how many of y'all would like to see that kind of miracle? We should pray for this type of miracle. How many of y'all know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? That we don't see these things happen like we want to? Let's pray. Come on, it's a church. Can we pray for signs and wonders and miracles to follow us? Yeah. Well, this is a miracle. This guy had never walked a day in his life. But we're told here that he heard Paul preaching the word. And Paul looked intently at him and he noticed something about this man. He noticed as he looked out, there was something about his face that he could tell that this, this guy was digging. He was picking up what Paul was laying down. This guy had some, a look of hope and a look of faith on his face. And, and Paul looked at him and, and said these words, stand up right on your feet. And this man stood up and he walked. Now, every time I preach, I mean, the first service was packed because, you know, the saints play today at, at, at 12. And so rush into the first service and I'm looking around and even in this service. So there aren't as many people here. And actually, it's easier to see your faces in this context. You're, you stand out a little bit more to me. OK, as I'm looking around. But if y'all could just see right now, like if I could give you like the preacher cam and like turn around, if you could see your faces. Like you would really appreciate what I do for a living even more. You know what I'm saying? Because listen, every time I preach, if, you know, years ago I was on the campus at Arizona State University sharing the word. I've done Bible studies. I've, I mean, I've traveled to Europe. I've gone all over the world and I've preached the gospel, shared the word, taught the Bible, etc. And every time I do, I look around and I'm looking at people's faces. And most always I can tell by the look on your face, by the look on the people's faces, who has faith, who, who is believing the word of God that I'm preaching. Now, there, there are times when that's not the case, but, I mean, in, in a crowd even this size, I'm looking around, let me see here. Some of y'all are like, like I'm preaching, you're like, like some of y'all kind of do your shoulders, you're writing and putting stuff down on paper, you got your shoulders moving, you look, your face is like, you're into it. Others of you are like, hmm, hmm. Mmm. Mmm. Some of y'all, mmm. Some of the men, mmm. You stop all that mooing and start amening, y'all. <laughs> and then sometimes I look out and there's going to be someone like this. <laughs> Seeking the Lord in dreams and visions while I'm preaching. It happens. <laughs> I don't agree. Some of y'all are agreeing, like, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> don't know. Now listen, I, I'm a lot of things. I'm, I'm very self-aware. I know my problems. I know my strengths and my weaknesses. I know I'm many things. One thing I'm not is boring. <laughs> I know that. I mean, I yell at y'all for 30 minutes. Who can sleep in here? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? Listen, if you sleep through my sermons, you had a long night. And we have a small group just for you to help with that. <laughs> oh, uh, where was I? Y'all got me off track. Y'all are looking at me funny. He saw the look on this man's face. This man stood up to his feet. And we don't know all the details, but I think it's right to say, I'm sure this man not only walked, but he praised. I'm sure that he gave glory to God and bore witness to him. How many of y'all know, spiritually speaking, God found you. You weren't seeking him. 
He found you. He sought you. He chased after you. He found you in your addiction. He found you in your darkness. He sent his spirit to awaken your heart. He sent forth the word to break the yoke. He filled you with his goodness. He filled you with his grace. He did a work and a miracle in your life. He raised you from the ground. He raised you up so that you can testify to the miracle working power of God. Uh Uh-huh. Isn't that what happened? He raised you, strengthened your feet so you can walk in the will of God. That's what miracles are for in the natural. That's what they're for in the supernatural. In the spiritual, they bear witness to the power and to the goodness of God. Well, you guys know the day you were born? You came into this world with a sinful nature. Cute and cuddly, but all kinds of potential for sin. Do you know that? You're born with a sin nature. Then then you get born again, and guess what you get? Something that you can't find at the hospital. You get a brand new nature. Something that doesn't come from your mama, nothing that comes from your daddy. It comes from God when you're born again. You get a brand new nature, don't you? Uh huh. You get a brand new nature. See, before you got saved, it wasn't in your nature to praise God. It wasn't in your nature to testify to the goodness of God. But now you can't help it. I can't help it because we have a new nature, don't we? That's why you're in church today at this time. The saints are playing right now, y'all. But you're in church because you are the saints of God. God's given you a new nature. You don't care about this world like the way you used to care about this world. Why? Because you've been bought out of this world. You've been called out of this world to be a witness for God. Are y'all with me? Man, this is, this is exciting stuff. And I didn't even have that much coffee today. <laughs> Let's finish up here. Acts 14, 11 through 13. Look at this. Watch the response of the crowd. Now, crowds do crazy things. Don't they? You get people together in a crowd, anything's possible. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, the miracle, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, here's what they said, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods have come. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Look at the response here. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowd. Now, again, if you're reading this in your own time, you get your coffee in the morning and you sit down to do your morning devotion. What do you do with this passage? (laughs) Zeus, Hermes, who? What What do you do with that? Well, let me tell you what you do with it. Uh, as I'm sure you all remember, track with me, we're almost done. In Ovid's Metamorphosis, he talks about this myth, this myth that involves Zeus and Hermes coming down to this very region where Paul performed the miracle back before, years before. The myth was the gods came down, but they came down disguised so that the people of this region wouldn't know that they're gods. So these gods came down disguised. They walked through the region. No one showed hospitality to Zeus or Hermes. Why? Well, we don't know the full story, but they basically ignored them. No one would take them in except one couple. And the the husband's name was Philemon. He and his wife, not the Philemon of the Bible, of the New Testament, but a different Philemon. He and his wife brought these gods into their home, showed them hospitality. As a result, the gods took Philemon and his wife up onto a hill. And as they went up onto the hill, just after a great flood of judgment came through the region and brought great destruction and devastation. Okay? Well, in this episode, the crowd has this myth in their mind. And they're thinking, we're not taking any chances. And so these, the the people in the crowd, they think that Paul and Barnabas are Zeus and Hermes come again. 
And so we're told here that the priest does what? The priest goes and gets, an, gets oxen and garlands, goes to the gate. They go to the crowd to, to, to offer sacrifice, to show hospitality to who they think is Zeus and Hermes and Paul and Barnabas. They're there thinking, uh-oh, they're here again. Let's not mess it up again and bring judgment on the whole region. And so we're told the priest comes forward with the sacrifice, ready to show hospitality and pay honor to Paul and Barnabas. Look at the response here. Verse 14, beginning there. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they knew what they were doing. They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, Why are you doing these things? What things? Offering sacrifice. Why do you think we're the gods? Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you what? 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 Good news. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. What are you doing? Why would you sacrifice to us? We're just a bunch of men. They go on to say, verse 16, in past generations, God allowed, follow this everyone, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Verse 17, yet He did not leave himself without what? Without what? Without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying, if I could add, your pagan hearts with food and gladness. Verse 18, but even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Now, you see what's going on here? In other words, Paul and Barnabas stopped them by alerting them to the fact they're just, just mere men. Just mere men. Mere men who came to this region to preach good news. And what's the good news? Well, Luke doesn't tell us all the details, but for starters, the good news is this, for our purposes, as we look back on the story, that there was no need for these people to offer sacrifices to the gods. Why? Because God had already sent his son Jesus to offer sacrifice for them. This isn't about man going to God. This is about God in Christ coming down to us to do for us what we can never do for him. How many of y'all know that's, that's the good news that we believe in the gospel, that God has sent Jesus to sacrifice his life for us, to shed his blood for us so that we can have eternal life, so that we can be reconciled to the Father. Isn't that good news? No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter how many times you've gotten it wrong, no matter how deep the darkness, no matter how pervasive the perversion, you can have a brand new start in Jesus Christ because his blood has been shed for you. That's the good news. Why would you offer sacrifices to us? Even if you think we're the gods, even if we, why would you do that? And to take it a step further, well, Jesus came from heaven to the earth. Parallel here. Zeus and Hermes came down. The world didn't show, the city, the region didn't show hospitality to Zeus or Hermes. How many of y'all know when God and Jesus left heaven to come to the earth, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The very Jewish people who should have readily showed hospitality to Jesus, many of them rejected him. But the Bible says, He came to everyone who believed, to everyone who believed in his name. God gave them the right to be called the children, the sons, and the daughters of the most high God. What a great privilege, huh? That's you and that's me today. But even before, even before 
Paul saying, even before Jesus came. His point here in the text is that, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here. Listen up, pagans. God has been good to you. How do we know? Well, he tells us. Paul says, he didn't leave himself without a witness. What's the witness? He sent rain on your crops. He caused your crops to grow so that you could have food, so your heart would rejoice and be glad. How many of y'all know? Listen about, think, think this through with me. Before you got saved, God was good to you. Wasn't he? You say, well, I don't know, was he? Let me answer that, yes. He was good to me before I even became a Christian. So how do you know? Because he let me live. Paul's saying, he didn't leave himself without a witness. You didn't have the word, but you had a witness. The rain fell, the sun shone. He made your hearts glad by doing these things. When I look in scripture and I look out at the world and I look all around, there's so much turmoil and division and confusion. There's so much to complain about. There's so much to get irritated about. But can we just celebrate the goodness and the mercy and the grace of our God? How many of y'all, through it all, He's good to us. He's good to you. And Paul's point is, don't sacrifice anything to us. We're just a bunch of men. But we're here to tell you the good news, the good news. And so as we wrap up, what does it mean? It means this for us as we look at this story. First of all, God bore witness by sending the rain. The rain fell. The pagans could look back and be like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't the, the false God. That was, that was the God of Israel that did that. God bears witness to his goodness by sending the rain. He bears witness to his goodness by sending his son, S-O-N. And today, we have the opportunity to bear witness to the goodness of God by sending our resources into the world to help pagan people to help the addicted, to help the broken, to help the homeless, to help even other brothers and sisters in Christ who are depressed, who are down and out, who are addicted, who are in bondage, who are in the, the sex trafficking slave market today in the world. And y'all know that America leads the world in sex trafficking of women and children. What has God called us to do? Well, many things, but fundamentally, to bear, to bear witness to the goodness of God. And y'all, we're just one means, just one means by which God shows how good he is to the undeserving world. Did you know that? He wants to use you and he wants to use me. And as y'all know, the aim is for us to bear witness to the goodness of God by raising $1 million, $1 million. And that's us here at Midtown, joining with the other campuses, five total. Today, we're all doing the same thing. But I want you to think of how you can bear witness, how you can testify to the goodness of God by the amount that you're gonna give. I want you to pray about the amount that you're gonna give. Because as you look at this $1 million, I look through the list here. If you're new, I wanna just run this by you one more time. We got some work to do. We got some work to do. First of all, we wanna raise the 100,000 of this 1 million to begin to combat the drug epidemic that is wreaking havoc on this region. Did you guys know that we have performed nine, nine overdose funerals in the last three months for families here just at OSC? And if God can use us through our money, through our service, to reach people trapped in that lifestyle of addiction, 
How many of y'all know when God uses us, whether it be a program, whether it be a group, whatever it is, and those people get set free, how many of y'all know they're going to come out on the other side and they are going to testify to the goodness of God with us. So we have secured a path for those dealing with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, etc., to be sent to Adult and Teen Challenge, where there is a 76% deliverance and cure rate. Come on, y'all. That's amazing. We have the opportunity to give toward this. Next, we want to raise $200,000 for a discipleship and ministry home called The Retreat at Sunset, of course, here locally. And this is a discipleship training program, men who have gone through uh, things like adult and teen challenge to get set free. They're going to come into this program. We're going to disciple them. We're going to teach them the word and we are going to equip many of them to go into the full-time ministry. I want y'all to envision this with me. People who've been delivered from alcoholism and drug addiction, going through these programs, coming out on the other side, planting our Savior's church campuses in days to come. Did you guys know that God can use someone like that? He can raise them up to something like this so that we can bear witness to the goodness of God. Only God. I don't know about y'all, but I want to live a life as such that God is the only explanation for what I do. If you're living a life and you can do it on your own, I pity you. I want to challenge you to step out and live a life that's only possible because of the grace and the power of God. We're going to raise men up by the grace and by the power and by the word of God. So we want to raise $200,000 for this. As you heard earlier, $250,000 for Tim Tebow and his wife and for this, this safe house that they are building for women and children who have been in the sex slave industry. What an awful thing. But what a great thing they're doing. What a great thing that we can do as we partner with them. And finally, we want to raise $90,000 at each campus. So $450,000 collectively, but 90,000 just right here, right here from you, from me, to do two things. We're gonna send our money to Terry Gore and The Hub, a local homeless outreach, really a ministry. And y'all heard her share last week. She gets men and women off the street. These men and these women have the opportunity to get fed and work to earn points to buy clothing, to buy food. How many of y'all know we hand out food, we hand out things to people who are hungry? That's a good thing. How many of y'all know that's a really good thing? But it's even better when we equip them, the people in that situation, to get the tools they need so they can earn their own. How many of y'all know that raises that person's sense of dignity? Well, we're gonna give all kinds of money to Miss Terry and to the hub, and we're gonna go serve boots on the ground, serving the precious homeless people of this community. And then finally, we're going to give money to Clearport Learning Center. And Clearport is dedicated to providing tutoring, coaching, and discipleship for teenagers all across Acadiana because they believe and we believe in the next generation. We believe that education is important for all. And so they have a lot of needs. They need computers for the students. They need money to provide hot meals. They need money for kitchen appliances and seating and much, much more. But the aim is for us to give our money to restore a sense of dignity in all these people, all these men and women. And so that they come through on the other side and they look back and they say, Thank you, God, for sending the rain. Thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you, God, for sending our Savior's church to be a blessing to me. I can testify. We can testify to the goodness of God.